Hello, and welcome to Pre-Concert. I'm your host, Rodney Wittenberg. This episode of Pre-Concert is brought to you by Montgomery County Community College's Lively Arts Series. The Lively Arts Series presents Arturo O'Farrell and the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, Saturday, April 1st, 2017, at the Science Center Theater. For tickets and information, visit www.mc3.edu forward slash livelyarts or call the box office at 215-641-6518. Arturo O'Farrell is a two-time Grammy Award-winning pianist and composer. He has also won four Grammy nominations, the Latin Jazz USA Outstanding Achievement Award, and the Cuba Disco Award. Arturo is an educator and is currently the Director of Jazz Studies at Brooklyn College. He is the founder and artistic director of the nonprofit Afro-Latin Jazz Alliance. He performs throughout the world, and his newest album release from 2015 is entitled Cuba. The conversation continues. Arturo was born in Mexico City to the famed Cuban band leader, composer, and arranger Chico O'Farrell and Mexican singer Lupe Valero. He and his family moved to New York City when Arturo was four years old. He tells us about his musical beginnings there. I was asked if I wanted to take piano lessons at the age of six, and I just started going as a dutiful son. And it wasn't until I grew up to be about 12 that I was really bitten by the music book. That's when I discovered Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock and realized that if I didn't get to play music, I would probably uh, explode. My father, for some unbeknownst reason, kept his record collection under lock and key. And I was being typically 12, and I broke into his collection and pulled out the first record, I guess, that I came upon. And I put the album on the turntable and heard Seven Steps to Heaven by Miles Davis. I, you know, I hate to sound dramatic, but it freaked me out. When Herbie started to play, I just, I couldn't understand how someone could, A, play the piano like that, and B, have that kind of rhythmic, improvisatory freedom. And I went, holy cow, if I don't learn how to play like this, I literally felt like I would not be able to continue. It devastated me. Atoro tells us what drew him to the piano. The piano is such a beautiful instrument because you can literally shape the sounds and the chords and the notes and the melodies that you hear. There's a very, very distinct sense that your hands are creating and structuring and, and building. It's, it's just something that I really took to. I also like to improvise from an early age. I would... Um, it sounds like I was a terrible kid, I know. <laughs> everybody was, after everybody was asleep, I'd sneak to the back room where the piano was kept and pretend I was an orchestra conductor and just improvise endless D. Dorian masterpieces. And uh, I remember at the end of every one of them, I'd imitate an audience roaring its approval. So there was always that ego involved as well. <laughs> He tells us about one of his father's rituals that influenced his relationship with music. Every evening at around five or six, he would quit whatever work he was doing. He would pour himself a liberal glass of scotch and soda, 
he would turn down the lights and he would sit in front of the stereo and listen to music without interruption, without distraction for an hour or two or more. And everything that he heard, he studied. He could listen to contemporary avant-garde classical composers like Luigi Nono, Luciano Berrio, <laughs> and then he would, like an hour later, be listening to uh, some Count Basie or some Jimi Hendrix. And my father taught me the great lesson that Duke Ellington teaches us, which is that there's only two kinds of music, good and bad. And how that's determined is between you and whoever your creator is. <laughs> But for me, it always had to do with craftsmanship. And my father really, really appreciated very good writing, very good performing. And the poetry of it was also very important to him as well. Having such a musically brilliant father, I asked Otoro if he ever took music lessons with him. Oh, good God, no. <laughs> that was that would have been disastrous. We had one lesson, my father and I, in the entire relationship as a youngster in his household. And of course, as soon as he sat down and saw what I'd sketched out, he said, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. And I said, why not, why not, why not, why not? It's not like he didn't care about my education. It's just that we had really vastly different views on music. His father sent him to the Manhattan School of Music Preparatory Division and then to Brooklyn College Conservatory and then the Aaron Copeland School of Music at Queens College. Arturo tells us about the most interesting lesson he got from his time as a student at Brooklyn College. The world of music collided with the world of thought and reason and ration and philosophy. I'm forever grateful to Brooklyn College because I met my absolute mentor, hero, who's strangely enough an American history teacher. He said to me, why are you a musician? Do you have a gift for speaking and a gift for writing? And you are gifted in so many ways that there's got to be more to it than that. And he really challenged me to get outside of just playing notes and just being good at something and doing it for a purpose. Those are valuable lessons. The why of it, the art of it, the poetry of it. It's funny because a lot of times in a quest to be better and best, in a quest to be virtuosic, we completely lose track of the soul and the spirit behind why we became musicians. Here he describes the lessons he learned from his time working for Mr. Harry Belafonte and the experiences that led up to that. I had the unfortunate, non-normative experience of being discovered and hitting the jazz circuit at an early age. So I thought that this just happened. I thought people were going to recognize my brilliance and just reward me, which is, of course, complete nonsense because your brilliance is one of many brilliances in the world. But I spent a fair amount of time trying to learn how to make a living as a musician and uh, not doing very well at it. At some point, somebody called me up and said that Mr. Belafonte was auditioning piano players. So I went to his house. I never played for him during that audition. I guess he already knew I could play But he just kind of looked me up and down. And I remember I was wearing bright red sneakers that day. He looked at me up and down and he kind of went, okay. <laughs> that was it. But I began the three-year association with Mr. Belafonte. That was really incredibly important because it really prepared me for what I do now. And I love the professionalism of it. 
I love the idea that you could create music at a very high level on demand and that people would love it and be touched by it. I realized that at the end of the day, we are entertainers, whether we're conducting a symphony or playing an extended jazz solo or writing a Broadway musical. We are there as servants of human beings, and I think that's hugely important. Arturo talks about why he composes music for big band jazz and why he formed the Latin Jazz Orchestra. Well, I think one of the things that may be obvious to some is that it's the love of my father. It's just familiar territory. But I also find that it's infinitely flexible. For me, the big band holds a really, really specific place in the heart of jazz. And there's kind of a resurgence in big bands. But none of this resurgence in big bands really ever touched on the idea that Latinos have a different take on big bands and jazz. It was a very important moment for me to be able to create this orchestra because I thought that there was a need for a modern jazz orchestra that didn't just play mambos or wear ruffled shirts or shake maracas, that there was contributions that we could make as composers, as arrangers, as craftspeople that really contributed to the art form and not the uh, stereotype. As a matter of fact, if you study the music of Latin America, which invariably is the music of modern America, you realize that there's incredible rhythms, incredible improvisational practice, and it changes from region to region. And so you have this rich tapestry of music that can rightly be called jazz or jazz derivative. I mean, it's all the things that we talk about as being the beginning of jazz that taking place throughout the Americas. And so I wanted to create a vehicle that would explore the unbelievable richness of this part of the planet. There are those who don't consider big band jazz to be real jazz. Arturo tells us how he feels about that. There's two ways to look at anything. Any topic in the history of mankind is open to this interpretation. You can look at it from the fixed point in space micro, or you look at it from the continuum. Let me put it this way. If you try to define a musical art form by a fixed point in space, you are insane. It's like saying that classical music existed in 1796 in Austria. And that's where it was born, and that's where it emanates, and that's how it's defined. You can't define anything like that. You know, there's like it's a continuum. There's a bunch of experiences that go together to make something called jazz. Jazz to me, Latin jazz, and specifically Pan American, because America's part of the Pan American experience, by the way. If you include yourself in a larger cohort, you realize how vast and wondrous your definition of yourself can be. So for me, what is jazz? Jazz is diasporic, pan, Latino, pan-African music that really has its roots in West African religious worship music, but that has its manifestations in so many rhythms that make their way into the new world and change the fabric of existence for all of us. So that to me, the definition of jazz, jazz is an entry word. It's a small word to describe a musical infinity. Arturo tells us about the group that'll be playing with him at the upcoming concert. 
It's four trumpets who can double on flugelhorns. It's four trombones who can double on euphonium or tuba. Five reeds, you know, it's all the clarinets, all the flutes, all the different variants of saxophone. It's two percussionists who are pretty multifaceted. And then there's a piano player, which just means we have a bass player and a drummer. All the people in the orchestra are a little bit nuts like me. There's a lot of experimentation. If you're planning to come to the show on April 1st, Arturo wants you to know this. We have crazy, crazy designs on your mind. We want to expand it. We want to blow it up. We want to introduce the idea of reggaeton meets Duke Ellington. We are in the business of pushing and progressing the art. And if you come to our concerts, what you'll see is really a group of people that just love playing together and love making great music. Thanks, Otoro. Montgomery County Community College's Lively Arts series presents Arturo O'Farro and the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, Saturday, April 1st, 2017, 8 p.m. at the Science Center Theater. For tickets and information, go to www.mc3.edu forward slash lively arts or call the box office at 215-641-6518. You've been listening to Pre-Concert. Pre-Concert is recorded at Melody Vision Studios. For more information on Pre-Concert, go to www.pre-concert.org. Also, find us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. This episode of Pre-Concert was written and produced by Michelle Armour. I'm your host, Rodney Wittenberg, and I'll see you at the show. One, two, three,